and welcome to the Austin Art Talk podcast. My name is Scott David Gordon, your host. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and I do hope you're enjoying the interviews I've been sharing. The focus of this podcast is on the interesting and creative people of Austin, Texas. As always, my intention is to have meaningful and in-depth conversations that I hope will be of value to you, the listener. They certainly are to me. I really love doing these interviews, and hopefully we can all figure out together how to better connect and support our local art communities and create opportunities and success for ourselves through conversations like these. You might have noticed, unlike many other podcasts, this one has no sponsors. For me, it's a passion project that I create and produce 100% on my own every week please consider helping to support me and my continued efforts by becoming a patron of mine. Go to austinarttalk.com and click on the support tab to learn more. And if you really love an episode and have a feeling it might benefit someone else, please share it with them. It might be exactly what they need to hear. Thanks to those who follow and interact with me on Instagram, at austinarttalk. That is by far my favorite social media platform. I post daily about local art events, and try to support and share the work of previous podcast guests, along with other interesting people, art, and podcasts that I find which you might enjoy. On to the rest of the show. After going to medical school and practicing as a pediatrician for many years, and at the same time growing a family, V. Non felt that there was still something missing in her life. Once she started creating art again in a more intentional and disciplined way three years ago, V found that it was a way that she could have freedom and time away from the demands of the rest of her life, and it also made her feel more whole and facilitated a lot of personal growth and self-acceptance. She is quick to acknowledge what a blessed life she has, and that she wouldn't be here if not for the courage of her parents, who left Vietnam at the end of the war and made a perilous journey to the U.S. It's inspiring to see how hard V works, and how much she prioritizes relationships, connection, and vulnerability. Here is V. Hey, V, thanks for being on my show. Thanks for having me. Well, I thought maybe we could start as a way for people to get to know you. I saw this, uh, one of your Instagram posts that I really liked, and you said that you have three jobs. One is saving lives, one is raising lives, and... One is creatively expressing your life and, I guess, creating connection. Mm. So I'm just wondering, maybe through those three jobs, you could kind of describe who you are. Yeah. Um, well, obviously, raising life. You know, I'm a mother of two boys. Yeah. They're 10 and 6, and uh, they're a handful. I'm sure. It's a full-time job. <laughs> It's a full-time job. Anyone that tells you, you know, what it's like to be a parent, you don't ever really know until you're you're in it. But it's it's an honor and a, a blessing to uh, guide these two boys through life. My quote-unquote day job or, you know, my first job, you could say, or first line of career, I'm, I'm actually a uh, physician. I'm a pediatrician, and I've been practicing for well over 14 years now. Oh, wow. In regards to creating art, you know, that's like, to me, an expression of life. You know, yeah. so it's, they're all intertwined. It's amazing to me how all these different parts of my life actually affect one another and, um, inspire each other really, you know, it's this constant dialogue I have within myself for so long. I kind of thought that they were all compartmentalized. Um, but the older I get and the more I, I do my work in every area of my life, I realize that they're all very much, um, influenced and, make me feel whole you know i don't think if i had one part um out of the equation that i would feel complete mm-hmm. 
you know, as far back as I can remember, my 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 memories of childhood are all surrounded by artwork or dance. Like, you know, I was really into movement and self-expression and writing. I, I wrote constantly in my journals, um, mm. wrote poetry. I drew uh, obsessively, you know, portraits, people. I was always fascinated by people, you know, and mm-hmm. people that look different than me, you know, people that came from different places. Um, and so that is a huge part of my childhood for me that was very sacred and very important and probably gave me the place of escape and made me feel most like myself, you know, outside of the walls of my bedroom. And, you know, like as life goes on, choices had to be made, you know. Yeah. Um, practical choices. Practical <laughs> choices. You know, influence. Which I'm sure you don't regret being a doctor. Oh, right? my goodness, no. No, not at all. Like, you know, it's I, I wouldn't have done it any differently. Hmm. I, I think everything, of course, happens for a reason. Um, but for me, I think being a first, you know, I say first generation American born, you know, Vietnamese American, like you're kind of, you don't want to ever miss any opportunity and, and, and you and you, you want to make the most of your life because your parents sacrificed so much for you, you know? And so that was a huge influence in me in regards to, you know, where I wanted to take my life. But I actually had a little bit of a, a fork in the road, mm. you know, all through high school. I was like, I was very active in drama and theater and musicals. And I was part of my literary club and, you know, wow. putting together literary magazines. Uh, I also you know, every study hall was in the art studio, you know, like that's where I chose to go. And like, you know, I was always in the art studio constantly creating. Meanwhile, still, you know, being a straight A student, you know, in science and all my classes that were critical in regards to being top of the class and, you know, paving the way for college and, you know, whatever after. So I was very busy. And I think I was also really busy because that was the way for me to socialize. Yeah. Because <laughs> I didn't really have uh, much of a typical, I guess, quote unquote, American teenage social life in high school. So those, you know, that, that kept me engaged. And so I, I was at a turning point when, you know, of course, when you're a junior and you're trying to figure out what are you going to do with your life? You know, that big <laughs> question. It's like, God, I think about it now. It's like, man, that's a heavy question to ask of a person that's only 16 years old. You know, I mean, gosh, 16 years of life does not give you (laughs) the ability to really Mm -hmm. think of what your scope of your life is going to be like forever. Um, So anyway, that's why I've always thought it would. I love the idea of someone graduating from high school and then taking a year and traveling. (laughs) You know, it's like, yeah, isn't that so much better as a way to find yourself and figure out what you're what you're and into. it may not be just one year, it might be a few <laughs> yeah, years, right. you know? Right. Um, but, you know, like, it was one of those things where I was at this point where I was like, okay, do I go into design and architecture, which was something I was really interested in, mm. you know, like growing up in Pennsylvania, like Frank Lloyd Wright, you know, it was like, you know, yeah. the epitome of architecture and the lines and it was part of my artistic, you know, design eye. And then do I go into pursue science and medicine, you know, and I, and, and I guess there was a few influences at that point. I was volunteering at a children's hospital, taking care of kids with cancer. Mm. I was doing research as well as, you know, and this was like in my summers, <laughs> you know, most wow. people have like summers off and like in high school, I think I like, you know, worked three jobs. So I was always working. I think my whole life, uh, I have just an immense amount of energy, I think, you know, it's, I've never, ever really rested. I think I was always working. I was where always that, busy. 
Where did that drive come from to work so hard, be so involved in so many things? Oh, it's drilled into you. (laughs) (laughs) From your parents? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was drilled into me. I mean, my father was very hardworking, you know, I mean, to to come to this country and not have a dime to your name. And just like, you know, the clothes on your back, you know, it's, it's, and, you know, I remember they, they have two pairs of shirts and two pairs of pants each in their suitcase. And that was it. Yeah. Tell me their story a little bit too. So, um, my mother and father, uh, are from South Vietnam in this little town called Mital outside of Saigon. My father was in the South Vietnam Navy. He was a high ranking officer. He was an engineer. And my mother uh, worked at a bank, and uh, she was pregnant with me. I think they had only been married like maybe a year and a half before they conceived me. And um, they grew up during a wartime, you know, Mm. like that's their whole entire childhood. And so when the Vietnam War ended in April 1975, it was one of these moments where my father knew he had to make a decision it was a life and death situation for them, but more so for his unborn child. Yeah. And being in the South Vietnam Navy, he would have been either, you know, in a re-education camp or he would have been killed. I mean, those were mm. basically his two, you know, two paths. You know, he didn't even have a choice, but, I mean, you know, that's pretty much what would have happened. And so my mom and dad left in the middle of the night um, on a boat. Him and a bunch of his fellow Navy mates uh, took a boat and did not tell their families, packed one small suitcase and um, left in the middle of the night. And there were several moments in their journey that if they had made different choices, they, I wouldn't be here today, you know? And so knowing that history and, and, and growing up with that so close to home and ha- having that constant reminder, you know, of the sacrifice that they've made. And also to see my parents work so hard to provide a life, you know, that they wanted for me. My dad started off as a draftsman and worked his way up, you know, into a, as an engineer mechanical engineer. My mother worked really hard, you know, in software testing for um, health insurance company. But like, you know, for them, they worked relentlessly. And I was, you know, like many people in our generation growing up in the 70s, a latchkey kid, you know. And so, you know, I was a very, uh, had to be independent and resilient early on in my life. You know, working hard was just something that was instilled in me. It's, you know, it's in in my DNA. And, you know, so I I never, ever felt... (laughs) quote unquote, either, you know, lazy or procrastinating. That's not even in my vocabulary. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not even, it was always like that drive, that constant drive to be the best. It's like, you know, if you got 95%, what happened to the other 5%? I mean, I know that sounds extreme. <laughs> it sounds crazy extreme. Um, you know, and like everyone's always heard that term tiger parenting, you know, I yeah. definitely grew up with that, but you know, it's, it's like, I understand, like, I mean, hindsight 2020 and being a parent myself, like, you know, I have nothing but utter respect for my parents and what they've been through and the kind of life that they provided. I mean, we're utterly blessed um, Mm. beyond belief. You know, that relentless drive is just a part of my upbringing, a part of my history, a part of my family's history. So then you chose to study medicine. Yeah. So, you know, it's like one of those things where, you know, I was given the ugly side of pursuing art or architecture. Oh, you know, it's not stable enough or, you know, you're going to end up just drafting people's ideas and not your own. And, mm. you know, and, and, and like de-romanticized it yeah, to death, right. right? Or else like, okay, I guess I won't go to Carnegie Mellon. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I always also wanted like a purpose of an act of service 
Mm. you know, and that's Mm -hmm. something that was really important to me. Like I was always wanting to help people too. Yeah. Medicine was just, I I guess like the, the natural choice at the time. I also think it makes life easy, right? I didn't have to think about what my life looked like for the next 11 years. (laughs) Oh wow! It's like, it's planned out for me. You know I mean? Yeah. It took a lot of dedication. It took a lot of time and like, you know, really committing myself to it. And and it's not easy, but it kind of takes the thought process out of, you know, your next step. You're following, it's like this cookie cutter step, you know? And, Mm. and it's such a long journey too. That was like, okay, there's some kind of safety in that, you know, like knowing that, you know, you're not going to have to make, tough choices right hmm. you know yeah, for a while but you know i also knew that the only way i would go into medicine is to be a pediatrician because i just love children so much i mean there, there's such a truthfulness with children and and as adults you know through whatever course we each have you know society has a way of kind of changing us you know and i think i saw that in myself and so it's kind of like holding on to youth as long as possible you know like holding on to that naivete and that innocence in life and just that purity that like helps remind you of your purpose in life and who you are Mm. and and, because if you let yourself get drowned in you know everyday adult issues and all our our, all our stress and and stuff you know it can beat you down you know and you Mm -hmm. can lose sight of of what life is really meant to be how it's meant to be lived and how it's supposed to i mean children know how to live in the present moment right it's like my kids it's like they don't care about getting ready to go to school they just want to you know, yeah. build their stuff right now. I want to build my Lego set this morning. I'm living for the present moment. <laughs> you know, it's really hard for us parents to understand that because they're like, we need to get out the door. But, you know, it's like they're they're good reminders. Children are good reminders of what life is meant, how it's meant to live and mm-hmm. inspire us. And so I knew that was the only way I'd get a medicine is to be a pediatrician. You know, it's interesting because here's this path and um, it's set for me. And what I realized, though, is that I lived my whole entire life planned out in a way. When I got to a place, you know, a few years ago where, okay, here I am, you know, 10 plus years into my career, I have a family, I have kids. I still had this nagging feeling like, you know, this is not everything I'm supposed to do. Mm. Like, I felt like there was so much more to life than this, you know, like, this can't be it, you know? And and that wasn't just your like need to do more anyway, <laughs> you know, like yeah. that, that 5% or yeah, something. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I, I have to say, I think I, you know, I think you were talking about competency addiction, yeah, you know, we were, right. we were talking about that earlier. And I think for me, I, I I'm addicted to growing mm. and constantly learning, but also pushing myself beyond my own expectations It's strange because I think like what happened is like, you know, it's funny because when I was in college, I was in my honors program. I did a master's thesis on child development and uh, delayed gratification. So do you know what that means? Right. You know, like what it means to like work for something knowing that the reward is not till much later on. And there is no much greater example of delayed gratification than the journey of becoming a doctor. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so then once I got to that carrot, I was like, what do I do now? Like, you know, it's like, and, and I was still excelling in my work. You know, I mean, I was, I've, you know, done administrative stuff. I've, I've really grown as a physician. And if anything, being a physician, the human interaction and the vulnerability and interfacing with people at that moment, I think is the greatest gift. 
And that's where my satisfaction lies. You know, some people in medicine, their satisfaction may be in like how big of a practice they can grow or like, you know, money, money. Yeah, I know that's what a lot of people think. But I think deep down people in medicine nowadays, it's, it's hard to be driven by that because it, mm. our, our current medical healthcare system does not really people reward have that you. reward us in that way. Yeah, believe it or not. But that's a whole nother can of worms. But, you know, it's one of those things where honestly, I've always felt like I was meant to live my life exceptionally. You know how most people have a fear of death? Like, I actually have a fear of being, like, complacent. Like, I have a fear of not living my life to its fullest potential. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's from now that I'm talking about it. It's like, you know, this is kind of like therapy in here. Yeah. Um, I kind of <laughs> feel like maybe that's because I grew up feeling constantly this drive to, like, be better, you know, and constantly, like, do the best in everything. And so, like, that drive naturally now has, like ingrained in me this thirst of wanting to do everything in life as much as I can in the limited time that we have on this earth, you know, to take full advantage of it and to express my life in the fullest capacity that, you know, could possibly go. So, but I know I'd read somewhere that you had written maybe on Instagram that you were talking about balance Mm. and the need for balance and potentially burning out and having to kind of know your limits and not being able to do everything. Like, how do you... Yeah, I think I'm still learning that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm be honest. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm definitely still learning that. It's it's hard. It is very hard. And, you know, I couldn't do it without without the right support system, obviously. You know, I have a family that's very supportive and I have a husband that, you know, is amazingly supportive. But, like, when they say it takes a village, you know, it takes a village for any of us. It's not just for raising children. It takes a village to be a human being. Mm -hmm. It takes a village for us to exist in our world together. And that's what I think, you know, is more apparent now than ever, you know, whether it be through the connection of social media, but more so the connection we have as people living together in this country, on on this earth. Like we are all connected and we need to be a village for each other, you know, and raise each other and support each other through everything. And I think, you know, being in the community, the art community, what I've found is that, you know, man, I finally found my tribe. I really feel mm. like that. I found, I found my tribe in the people that understand the emotional roller coaster ride of being an artist and the constant self questioning and and pushing and you know it's it's like that hunger in us to constantly be better. You know. Yeah. So you got to your end of your eleven year journey of studying medicine, mm-hmm. and then you were kind of like something's missing. Yeah. And then. Then what happened? Like, what did you... So I have always, and I realize I've always done creative things outside of medical practice. You know, um, I always found myself doing other things creatively, but always creatively for other people, Hmm. you know, whether through like helping design their home or promoting artists, you know, that's something that I've just always done. But like, and then one day, I guess I was talking to one of my artist girlfriends and just telling her about you know, something that I wanted to do, an art piece I wanted to do for my home. I've been talking about it for so long. I think she got sick of listening to me. So (laughs) (laughs) she sent me for my birthday a, get this, a nine foot by five foot blank canvas. Whoa. Because that was the size of my dining room wall that I wanted to paint this. (laughs) Wow, that's a cool friend. Yeah, kind of sadistic too at the same time, (laughs) you know. It's like, oh my goodness, why would you do this to me? It was daunting. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, I mean, it's not like, okay, buy, buy me a sketchbook, you know? <laughs> yeah. Let's start off small, you know? Get, give not me for some you, brushes. though. No, no mm-hmm. 
That well, now I realize that makes sense because you know I'm I'm kind of the, that personality. Anyone that knows me is like I'm either go big or go home. She you knew, know, she, knew <laughs> like, who she was dealing with. Yeah, I, I don't do anything on, on a small scale, obviously. But you know, it sat in my my dining room for like months, oh. staring at me, like just like, and I would just walk by, just like you know, sh- put my hands up to my eyes and like shield it and ignore its existence, you yeah. know, because I mean that's a really daunting size, you know. And how do you start something that you haven't done in years? Yeah, you know, I mean it was it was really intimidating. Um, like every great adventure started some liquid courage. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> one day after a lunch with her and one of my other girlfriends, I was like, okay, I'm going to Jerry's Artorama. <laughs> <laughs> and I just bought a bunch of supplies. And next thing I knew, I had that canvas outside on my back patio and started painting and worked on it relentlessly. And it was weird. It was like... Uh, it was like something opened up in me that I didn't know was still there, you know, oh, and it was like wow. this, this part of me that just came out of hibernation and, um, I was obsessed. Like I, I couldn't stop. Like after I was finishing painting that, I just kept going and kept going and kept going. And I was, you know, of course, like I took it like with anything else, you know, being disciplined, you yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> like I wanted to learn as much as I could, as fast as I could. And so like I started painting like still life, which I was like, oh, how boring, you know, still life. And let me get my fruit, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, and, but I knew it was a place to start to learn about, you know, shape and contour and, you know, the foundations of, you know, the rules, trying to get as hyper real as I could, you know, with mm. everything and just really trying to really train my eyes and, you know, how our brains, um, process information and you know and i realized that i'm a very much a right brain left brain person like i use both you know mm-hmm. my whole entire life i've used both and i just neglected the one side for too long yeah. but you know it, it it came out um so strongly you know i would go to work i'd come home i'd put the kids to bed as soon as the kids were in bed i was in my studio space which was like at the time my ex dining room where that huge nine yeah. foot by five okay. foot canvas sits you know and so you know and i would work painting until like one in the morning go to bed wake up go to work and it was like this routine of like getting six hours of sleep every night and just doing this thing over and over again but you found what you were missing right oh my goodness it was it it was beautiful it was amazing it was like i found myself Mm. it was like i found myself like and i feel like that's what this journey is for me is like you know like with every piece that i do i'm just learning more about myself and really it's amazing you know it's like when you fall in love with someone or something it's really more of a reflection of you you know Mm. it's like when we when we have relationships with people outside of ourselves the things that we are attracted to them or the things that we connect with them it's really a reflection of who we are yeah right and so the same thing with things that we music or whatever it is it's always a reminder of ourselves and so for me this journey and my process is really just man i'm just feeling like i'm peeling the onion you know, mm. like I'm just getting started. <laughs> How long has this been? Oh my gosh, I hope you don't hate me for saying this. I've only been painting for three years. Okay. No, I don't hate you for saying that. I know, but it sounds... I, it I mean, you crazy. started your life that way, though. It's not like it's completely new. Right. No, that's what's so funny when people ask or like, you know, ask me like how long I've been an artist. I'm like, really? I think I've been an artist my whole life. You yeah. know, it's always been in me. I think if anything, I've just been gathering material. I've just been absorbing the world and like, you know, through human interactions and my life and observing and, you know, being an observer of the world. It's just, 
if anything, I'm just vomiting it all up now. You know, like yeah. I'm just. You held it in for a long I time. I held it in till I couldn't hold it in any longer. Mm. You know, and and I think kids that go to art school and all that stuff, like that's a great path. And I, gosh, I feel so terrible about like, you know, at least I can say my student loans are absorbent because, you know, I have this career now, you know, but like yeah. in medicine, but like I feel awful for like kids nowadays that like go to art school and they have this like ridiculous amount of loans. I mean, I've, I've looked at it. I personally have looked at it. It's like, okay, if I'm going to legitimize myself as an artist do i need to go this educational path right i hate how society tells you education is the way to get to any path of success right you know and i'm and i'm realizing realizing educate yourself you can educate yourself yeah and i'm self-taught and i value that also not only being self-taught but surround yourself with mentors exactly i I think it's really important to surround yourself by people that are already doing it or that you respect and really or aspire to to be you know and and then take as many classes as you can take as many workshops as you can or you know just be able to take criticism and 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 feedback and like in a way that's constructive you know Mm -hmm. and 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 so like i think that's been a very important part of my path that i've really valued you know and, and really made me feel that i'm on the right journey and i have the right support system for that but um yeah, a lot of emerging young artists coming straight from school that I've spoken to. It's like, you know, and a lot of them say the same thing. It's like art school. It's like where they teach you technique, right? It's mm-hmm. all about technique and, you know, trying different mediums, trying to find your voice or what medium you like. But it's not about how to translate your life experience, you know, and, and that's, and if anything, they have to break down what they've been taught, you know, and break it down and break it down. And I feel like as artists, we're doing that. Like I'm trying to break down my view of the world and trying to get myself back to my childhood eyes, you know, because mm-hmm. I see my kids and the art they create. I'm like, whoa, how'd you do that? You know, they impress me all the time with what they write and what they do. I'm just like, man, I wish I could be like you. You know, <laughs> I'm, yeah. just, I'm, trying, I'm just trying to get back to that. <laughs> you know, I'm just trying to get back to that. And I think um, formal art education, I think, you know, a lot of artists go through that where they're trying to break down those rules and, you know, what they've been drilled into them through art school. And, not, and I'm not at all devaluing art education by any means. But I think, you know, for me, having that rawness of life experience without Mm. the training, some of my earliest pieces came out of me, like without even thinking, like it was crazy. And then I'd step back and be like, how did I do that? Because it came from a pure, pure place, right? Like it came from pure creative expression. My brain was like, on autopilot like it's crazy there was this one painting i did that sticks out my mind a lot it was for my first series i did a series um called strangers from home which was about my life experiences of my connection and disconnection with vietnam Mm -hmm. and vietnamese people and unfiltered is the name of this piece and it's this man from northern vietnam who's He's got this very stern, wrinkly face, and he's got a cigarette in his mouth. Yeah, I saw that one on your website. Yeah. And I looked at his photograph, and I think I just absorbed it over time. You know what I mean? Just like, you know, with anything, it's like it it, it percolated. Yeah. And then one day I sat down, and I started to paint him. I had somewhat of an idea of a plan, but not really. And I just let it happen naturally. And he finished within like three hours over three nights. So nine hours total, yeah. maybe. And he's pretty good size, 36 by 24. You know, I've never really liked painting small. I don't yeah. like painting big. <laughs> Obviously, when you start off painting on a nine foot by five foot canvas, you know, it's like, yeah, it's hard to get smaller than that. But anyway, um, when I was done with him, it was like the most expressive natural piece I ever made that like, I was just like, 
I don't even know how I got there. It's so strange. And I know many artists huh. can, many artists can relate to this. Like there's that flow state, yeah, yeah. you know, where you just kind of get into this zone and it's like this euphoric feeling and you're just, it's like the universe is communicating through your hands and your eyes and you're just like, you're on the ride, you know, you're just on this ride and you're just yeah. going along with it. And you step back and you're just like, I don't even know how I got here. It's so crazy. That's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm wondering, I'm wondering if it's not too personal. Maybe you could share some of the things over the last three years you have learned about yourself by kind of, like you said, peeling back the layers of the onion mm. by doing art. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think doing art is one of those things where I've had to really kind of learn self-acceptance. Mm. You know, it's really hard as artists, you know, because we never feel like we're enough enough right and maybe that's something i'm used to feeling <laughs> going back to my childhood like i'm used to feeling like i'm always striving to prove myself right yeah. and so like maybe art is a really comfortable career for me because that will never end yeah. <laughs> you know what okay. i mean like that's the like a perpetual state of being mm-hmm. um so it's a place i'm very comfortable with um but i also think you know we always have a lot of self questions as you know if our work is good enough if people get it if people connect with it do i need to be defined by a certain aesthetic you know it's like i realized more than anything that i as an artist am on my own path right and yeah. i can't look at others' path of what it looks like for them, how they're defining themselves. Like for me, with anything I've done in my life, it's always been about the story and about relationships and human connection. And so however I can connect with people through my work, I think that's, I think how I want to define myself, not necessarily by, oh, she's doing abstracts now. Now she's doing portraits. Now she's doing installations. Now she's doing conceptual. Like, you know, like, is that okay to use multiple modalities in telling a story? And I think, yes, you know, like, I don't want to, I don't want to ever, ever be defined. I don't ever want to be pigeonholed. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think uh, for me, obviously my life is defined by being outside the box, yeah. <laughs> you know, like in every aspect of my life, I'm a little bit different and, and not your, uh, what people expect. But you just want to choose whatever way best conveys the story. I yeah. Mean, whatever that is. I think that's what ultimately matters. You know, it's like for me, however I'm expressing myself at that moment, I think no matter what, if it's done in your hand and it's done with a personal voice, then it's yours, right? Like I'm known for my work having lots of color and, and movement. And that's definitely something that, you know, transcends a lot of my work. But um and rec- I would hope recognize really mine. But I think more than anything, like I, I kind of want people to be like, oh, what's she going to do next? You know, and be like, oh, this looks so different than your other stuff. Or, well, that's what Vincent so, was talking about in his interview. He doesn't want to be predictable. You no, know? And he no. wants his heart to be there too. That's but I think that's, think that's of, yeah, absolutely. And I think. The I, technique versus all right, and, and, why you're doing it. And yeah. I've had um, some really great friends in Austin that really, I mean, we could talk about art for hours and they really allow me to keep questioning myself and pushing myself, you know, and um, really opening doors as to, am I going deep enough? You know, am I, am I going as far as I can? Am I still holding back? You know, and I think I still am, you know, but that's okay because it's part of the journey, right? Like the process of, of with every show that I do or every piece that I do that I'm learning more about myself and I'm opening up more and more and more, you know, and, and I think when people connect to the work, it has to be personal as an artist, 
in order for it to be personal for them. Because we're all connected. We all have same similar experiences and, you know, perspectives and, you know, and, and so that's the only way I know how to be at this point. I don't want to justify myself or my work anymore just because I have this other career. You know, I, for me, I think it's defining myself and letting the work speak for itself. Yeah. I really think it's so valuable to have some close friends that you trust mm-hmm. to help with accountability or get feedback and to mm-hmm. share your work with them and have discussions. You know, I think there could be a lot more of that. I feel like it's so easy to be isolated as an artist. You know, you're spending all this time preparing for a show and then you put the work up and then you're getting some, you have your opening. And I just feel like deeper into the process of the creation and kind of the meaning behind it, I think it is important kind of along the way to have these meetings and connections with people and friends to kind of talk about the work and why you're doing it and what's it about. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's essential. Because, you know, being in your studio space can be so isolating. Yeah. <laughs> it really oh, yeah. can. I Absolutely. mean, it's uh, granted, you know, like I, I think by nature, I'm an extrovert, which, you know, is unusual, I think, for a lot of <laughs> yeah. artists. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an anomaly. Um, but only in my studio do I really, really feel like I'm myself and I'm okay with being by myself because mm. it's like this mental space because at home I'm constantly being pulled you know in multiple different directions for needs at work I'm constantly caring for other people so outside the studio my life is inundated with people constantly engaging me and pulling me Mm -hmm. in multiple different directions right and 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 duties that I'm very happy to fulfill but in my studio it's just me no one's pulling at me but my own inspiration or my own, you know, connectedness to myself. And it's my sanctuary. Like, I can't begin to tell you how I look forward to my studio time. And and, and moving my studio outside of home was so critical. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I, I, you know, it's one of those things where I found myself when I was working at home on my days off, you know, when the kids are at school or at camp or whatever, I would, you know, find things to do, do laundry, you know, send out emails, read articles for work. And you know what I mean? Like other things. Look in the refrigerator. Look in the refrigerator. <laughs> go to the grocery store. I was so distracted. And then I look at my watch. I'm like, oh my God, I only have two hours left before I have to pick up the kids. And how am I going to get in studio mode? I mean, honestly, every artist can say they have a different process to get into that mode, but like, yeah, for you. Yeah. But like two hours is nothing. You know what I mean? like you're just scratching the surface and then you have to go and it's interrupted and you know it's such a hard space to get into so when I finally decided to move into my own studio space it's been great because as soon as I drop off the kids at school I go straight to the studio and I like give a good solid you know six or seven hours of work you know I'm committed and that is my time and it's my discipline it's a it's a job you know it's my work yeah it's my work and I found that my, my work has grown a lot faster. I found it more focused. I found that I'm more present when I need mm. to be. So that's the other thing about, we were talking about balance earlier. How do you balance that? And I think in order for me to be present at home with my kids, I need the studio time. It's kind of like a form of self-care, right? Like I need to be able to dedicate that time in order to feel fulfilled that when I'm out of that space and I'm at home, I'm completely present and aware of, of what their needs. And not being pulled. Not being else pulled mentally. because my mind is yeah. still like, I didn't get to finish that thing that I wanted to do in the studio. I'm still mm-hmm. halfway or I'm still thinking about art. And, you know, any artist will tell you, and like, I think it like occupies our brain 90% right. of the time. Like, we can have, have conversation with people and we're thinking in the back of our heads, oh man, that would be so good if I did this. You know, so like, you know, it's, 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 it's easy to get overwhelmed, 
you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and be distracted if you don't find balance. And so and it's also with my work. I found that like ever since I started my work, I'm actually a lot more present and happier at work. I wasn't, I was on a path to burnout, to be honest mm. with you. I was on the path of when I was just practicing medicine only of, of burning out. And now I've, I've found a great balance that like I'm happy in all areas of my life. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you how you how do you potentially use creativity, emotional intelligence, and mm-hmm. kind of the spiritual consciousness you've gotten from your artwork? How do you bring that into your medical work mm. in a way that, like mm-hmm. you were just saying, like yeah. it's made it better or it's kept you from burning out? I think if anything, it's like they kind of feed each other in regards to you know how I connect with people. You know, I mean, I've always been a kind of an emotional person and and really found the depths of human relationships to be the whole purpose of life, really. You know, I mean, take away like materialistic things and where you are in life status wise, your home, you know, all that stuff doesn't matter. It's really at the end of the day, the human connection. And so for me, being creative has allowed me to connect. I've always been able to connect people in a way that I can read people's body language and can tell it's, it's a fine art. It really is a fine art in regards to how you deal with people. Mm. It's, it's one of those things that's not taught in medical school. We've all had bad experiences, you know, with someone in the medical field, you know, in some way, you know, where they didn't have like a good bedside manner or yeah. whatever. But yeah. And sometimes it's life or death and it's yeah, yeah, huge yeah. stakes and it, huge stakes. And it's, it's like, what other profession are you interfacing with a person in their most vulnerable state? You're, mm. you're a complete stranger. You know, and here you are taking care of their most precious little thing, you know, and and, in this place of vulnerability and emotional vulnerability. And if anything, I think uh, being an artist has allowed me to really connect with that more in a deeper way and and understanding. And just like I think being a parent made me a better pediatrician and being a pediatrician made me a better parent. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with art. Like art has made me become a better physician in a lot of ways, you know, of, of seeing the broader picture as well, you know, not... It's interesting. Medical schools now are actually te- some of them are actually teaching or incorporating art classes. Oh, I didn't into, heard that. Yeah, it's really crazy, and I think it's wonderful. I'm like, gosh, where was that when I was in medical school? You know, like bro- art therapy. Yeah, but also just being able to see things on multiple levels, right? And being because you know, kind of like my work is layered. All all artworks layered. You know, it's all based on depth and how you're going to form and light and you know, composition and all that kind of stuff. It's like taking in this whole picture. Well, when we look at a patient, we need to look at them as a whole and not individually system-wise, you know, and just try to really get that idea of, of looking at problem solving. And, and that's what, honestly, art is too. I think yeah. that any artist will tell you the process is all problem solving. You know, it's like you're constantly thinking how things can be better, how something can be moved to the forward, how something could fall to the back, how can you show values and different tones and, you know, and, and, and really create this bigger picture, right? And making choices that making take choices. you in a specific direction. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And medicine's the same way. You know, it's all about taking things on a whole and really really, you know, problem solving, investigating, learning, you know, and, and so it's interesting that now like they're, they're coming to that understanding that they're incorporating art classes in the medical school. My brother, I joked around with him when I told him that he's like, I was like, man, why wasn't that during offered during school? And he was like, man, you probably would have dropped out. Yeah. Right. (laughs) 
That's, you would have dropped out of yeah. medical school. I was like, mm, not with all those loans building up. But anyway. I'm just wondering then, though, like in the last three years since you've started doing your art, are there any mm. specific moments in your medical practice that you could share that like are really powerful for you that you feel like were kind of in a way directly connected to your <sighs> art making? You know what I think it is? It's like I, I think it's it's the vulnerability. You know what I mean? Like being in a space in medicine it can be easily just like the path to it could be easily very concise and protocoled and, you know, like step, you know, step one, step two, step three, you know, and it can be very rigid in some ways. And I think having started doing art, like I've been able to kind of look past that, you know, and not get bogged down with that and not feel burnt out from the processes that are instilled upon us in the medical field. And also kind of refocus more on the human part of it. Because I'm, I'm constantly having to be in tune with human connection in my own work. And I, I think as an artist, you can't help but be faced with yourself and with reality and the world that we live in. I mean, it's a constant question, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and so I can't tell you like a specific experience. I think if anything, it's just affected it on a whole where, you know, I go to work in a space of knowing that I, I'm blessed and I have an honor to be serving people in this way. My goal is to make them feel as comfortable as possible and as happy as possible, as well as understand things in a way that is sensitive to who they are. You know, that translates in my work as well. Being in such a space that's constantly so uh, rigid, being creative allows me freedom that I may not mm-hmm. have to express myself. You know, I think outside of that it's like in medicine it's like it's it's about ex, um, expressing yourself in this context right that's very defined right and then in art it's like where i have no boundaries which is amazing you know because like i think i always live in this dualistic existence where it's finding that balance you know like i i, I live in one world that's very conformed and very rigid and you know very straight and arrowed and you know conservative let's be honest and then creatively, artistically, it's very open and liberating and, and has no definition and has no boundaries and is very liberal. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's interesting for me to be constantly interweaving in and out of these worlds. Um, it makes life interesting. Um, I think, you know, I'm, I'm also kind of starting to pull in some of my scientific thought into my creative process as mm. well. Like, you know, I'm really into time right now and memories and neuroscience neuroscience yeah it's like how our brains record memory it's not like a filing cabinet that people think like you know like your brain is a library and you have like all these like little stories that are like you know stacked away it's really more of your brain has a it's a highway of neural sensory pathways and your visual cortex will record things visually your amygdala will record your emotional response of that moment and it's about repetition of those highways and those neurons firing that then create that story that is your memory. Mm-hmm. And over time, the more you think about them or the more those, you know, whether it be through a sense of smell that something reminds you of that moment, you know, or, or a, a song that you hear or, you know, whatever it is, it triggers that pathway, it just kind of makes it more concrete, right? And what I realize is like time and our memories are really just interpretations of a moment and not 
you know, might not be based in reality. You know, it's not maybe factual. It could be really, I mean, if you think about it, it's, it's five people could be at one point in time experiencing the same exact event and each have a different memory or different perception of that event. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so interesting how our memories, I, I mean, as I get older, and I'm realizing that I'm kind of, you know, I told my husband, I was like, you know, we're responsible for creating memories for our children. I'm like, wow, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what, what a huge responsibility. You know what I mean? Gosh, I hope I don't traumatize them. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, of yeah so yeah. like, you know, but I think about that all the time now as a parent and now as I'm getting older and I'm looking back on my life and I'm realizing, man, you ever have these moments where you look back on a memory and it doesn't feel real? It feels like a dream, right? Like it feels like you sometimes wonder, did that, did that happen? Did it happen that way? Yeah. Or was I like dreaming that, you know? And, and it's all based on our emotional state, right? Like our emotional connections are so strong to our history and to our memories. And sometimes those emotional states can really be protective of a bigger, you know, our brain protects ourselves yeah. you know, in ways, you know, like how we protect ourselves in trauma, you know, it's like... Or you just block something yeah, out. Yeah, you just block something out or you just put it in a certain way of context that allows you to digest it and deal mm-hmm. with it, you know, but it's not necessarily how it happened. And so, like, I've just been really reading a lot on, like, how our brain perceives things and neuroscience of, like, memories and how time is really, you know, this elusive concept. And by me working through that and and looking at my memories and and trying to work through the layers, the multiple layers, you know, of, of information that then build this big picture, you know, working through that makes me realize that, man, it's all that doesn't like doesn't really seem to matter so much right like it's really it makes me if anything appreciate the present moment more like just Hmm. really absorbing as much as i can at this very moment because the memory of this moment is going to be different you know because as soon as you're recording it that moment is gone the present no longer exists think about that way yeah as soon as you're conscious of that moment and you're trying to grab as much information as you can it's not going to be recorded the same by knowing everything's temporary, it makes you appreciate the moment better. Well, how does how does what you're saying play into your work that's at Rexpec right now, your Dreamscape series? Yeah. Isn't that ingrained into that work, those oh, yeah. ideas you're talking about? Absolutely. You know, and, and so what's interesting is like, you know, with representational work, you can tell a story that's very um, identifiable, right? Like immediately, right away, people can say, oh, that's, you know, so-and-so, or that's, you know, this object, or that's this place. This series was really more about my emotional state, something that's intangible. Like all our feelings and our emotions are very intangible things, right? And how mm-hmm. do you translate that through color and, you know, movement and through layers? Like, you know, and it, it was really kind of a path of self-discovery for me because I was in a really hard emotional space with, you know, certain relationships in my life and, and really, you know, working through it. And that's the funny thing about it. It's like when you're in a studio, it's almost like time stands still because nothing else is happening outside of that Mm -hmm. place. It's like you can delve really deep. And, you know, as I was working, you know, a lot of my work has lots of layers and I'm holding on to something at that moment with each piece, like a certain point in time of my relationship or of my life. 
And I always have, like, I'll be listening to music that reminds me of that moment. And that's what I'm working on for however many hours. And so, you know, I, I have an idea. I, it's not like I start off with knowing how a piece is going to end. I would hope not. No. How boring <laughs> would that be? Well, you know, I guess I some mean, people yes, do that. Yes, yes and no. I mean, I think every artist has an idea. But then, like, you know, how their journey. I think part of creation is part of the journey, right, that we love as artists. But also, you know, I, I like how... It's a constant dialogue, too, you know, between the piece and you and, like, you know, interpreting that. And so it's the Dreamscape series is, you know, it's not really more about dreams. It's really about my life and certain emotional spaces and how they translate into a dream. You know, it's kind of like the recording of memories and recording of emotion and what that looks like. What you're talking about kind of reminds me of something you spoke about. I mean, it sounds like a very similar approach to what you're grandmother took with her poetry yeah kind of recording memories and recording feelings and in a different way in words right 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 and i'm just wondering i see you have a couple of her books here uh that played into this work too right like kind of the influence of her passing away recently and kind of you thinking about (sighs) her my grandmother my, my foster grandmother by the way she's my grandparents that adopted my parents in this country. I mean, they're pretty much my grandparents and they were kind of like the window for me and the foundation for me to see what it was like to grow up as an American family. Yeah, You know what I mean? Like we didn't understand that context and they provided it for us. So as I was preparing for the show and, and working in the middle of it, uh, she passed away and it was really hard for me. Um, she was an English teacher and she wrote poetry her whole entire life. And here's a woman that, like, published two books of poetry later in her life, actually. But, you know, she was also someone that always looked back at the past, you know. And, and what I realized in my own writing, because I used to write I have tons of journals and poetry, mm-hmm. is all we're doing is we're trying to record and hold on to a moment as much as possible. And even with poetry where the words are you know, more descriptive and flowery and, and imagery, you know, it's, it's, it can be read to a person and they can see their own image, but as the writer, you're really just trying to trigger those pathways in your brain and make those connections again to like, remember that exact moment yeah. that you wrote that. Right. Yeah. You know? And so, you know, reading her poetry during the making of dreamscapes helped me kind of move through the grieving because I couldn't produce work and it was mm. very frustrating because I was, I wasn't able to, I was kind of, paralyzed for yeah. a little bit in my grief maybe bringing question you know uh, the purpose of doing the work and yeah. you know and am i delving deep enough am i and what does it all mean and you know and all that kind of stuff all those big questions yeah and then one of my friends um ty clark he's like one of my good friends um in the art world and he's like you know and it's so funny like as soon as he said it i was like oh my god I'm, why didn't i think of that like that seems so obvious right he's like why don't you start reading her poetry and her books and like get yourself through it draw influence from there and because i was complaining to him about like how i just felt like i couldn't move forward you know and i was like man i cannot believe i didn't think of that you know and so i grabbed her books and i would start my studio sessions with reading some of her poetry and kind of feel that connection with her and then the emotion that I'm feeling at that moment and then what I'm wanting to convey and then like kind of help kickstart my process again and uh, breathe some heartfelt emotions into it again. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, she helped me through it. Yeah, she's definitely connected to it. It's so funny because one of the the titles in the series is actually a line from her poem. 
but I wrote it differently because it's almost like she's telling a story and I was like, yeah, but the story is not always right. You know, like it was like me having mm-hmm. a dialogue with my grandmother oh, in a yeah. way, you know, by taking a line that she ah. had her poetry and then changing it a little bit, like kind of not in defiance, but like, you know, still having a conversation. Is there any poem in particular that you'd like to share? Well, you know, that particular one that I was talking about, you know, where I changed the, the line. One of my circular panels, it's called The Telling of Its Journey is Never Right, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and that's reflective of, like, you know, it, it looks like a landscape that's folded over and over, like multiple dimensions, right? And so I feel like, you know, whenever we re- we're recanting a story or a journey, like, it's never accurate. You know, it's always yeah. folded and contorted a little bit or, you know, changed. Embellished. And it's <laughs> embellished. Right, right, right. Art is full of embellishments. Um, but yeah, so like, you know, that was the title of it. And I took it directly from one of her poems. And I don't know if I could read it all. Hopefully it's not too long for you guys. But um, it's called Once Sown and Tended. It is a timid time of life to speak of love. And yet unlike the light of the sun hiding itself from sight behind the shades of roaming clouds. Pure love's devotion never fades, and the telling of its journey is ever right. The way love chooses to reveal itself must yield to change according to the passages of life. The temperament of love moves in and out of promising and harvesting like seasons through the turning year. From yearning and discovery to mutual cares and quiet hopes, love's flowering gathers laughter, always embracing together, and the pledge of understanding, soft and comforting as the years go by. I'm going to stop there because I'm going to start to cry, but it, yeah, it goes on a little bit more, but it's about love and, you know, how love is always right, but I'm always like, mm, maybe not. <laughs> no, it's really beautiful. Thanks yeah. for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. I have a similar experience, you know, because my dad passed away last year and he wrote poetry also. Oh, wow. And after he passed away, I read all of his poetry and actually read a few of the poems at his memorial, and it was really powerful. So I get it. Yeah. It's amazing, right? Like, poetry is where we're trying to take words to create a picture. And paintings or art is like trying to create words in a story. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And I think art, as artists, we're able to do both, you know, because that's how we have conversations with ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I'm sure like, what's the, um, what's that book that every artist always is given the artist way? Yeah. By Julia Campbell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the Bible, right? Yeah. It's like every artist has it in their library somewhere with yeah. handwritten notes on the side or highlights. Whether they've really. actually been through it or yeah, not. Yeah, exactly. Whether or not you've actually gone through the process. But I remember that whole thing where she's like, you know, writing. Yeah, morning pages. Morning pages, yeah. right. Like constantly writing helps you process things and helps you filter. And, you know, it's like as artists, like I think that's a crucial part of our process is writing because it's like our inner dialogue and being able to make sense of it, you know, and creating that story. And so, yeah. I mean, a big in, a big intention around doing morning pages too is like not judging what you're doing, not mm-hmm. judging what you're writing. Right. You're just, it's a just flow, brain drain. Flow and you thought, just put it down and you don't drain. judge it and you're just, yeah, yeah you keep keep it moving yeah right the moment you wake up yeah exactly before reality sets in and the kids are coming in (laughs) i'll be honest morning pages hasn't been part of my routine in a long time (laughs) i try to do them too and it's hard it is hard it is hard it's hard to carve out time you know for creation and i man i really envy the artists that can do it full time Mm. i mean that's my goal 
eventually. Is that really? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. You know, it's like I'm blessed. I, I'm granted. Like I feel very blessed in the sense that I think the reason why I don't feel pigeonholed or the need to like classify myself as an artist or to try to make something more commercial or marketable or whatever like that may be is because you know I'm financially stable. Yeah. And so I don't have to depend on my art for, you know, paying rent and all that stuff. And granted, like, I'm truly blessed and I understand that. But the one thing I don't have a lot of is liberty of time. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's about also being patient. Anyone that knows me knows I'm not a very patient person. Like, I want to do things now. Like, I want to keep moving. Like, like, I'm just like this constant, you know, energizer bunny that just like, I want to keep pushing myself and pushing and pushing and pushing and do more and more and more. But then I am limited by time. And so that's a little frustrating for me. Um, so, you know, my ultimate goal is to eventually where I, I, I would never stop doing medicine completely because it's just a part of who I am as well. And like I said, I need it all. But I'd like to be able to cut back eventually where I can focus more on the art and really explore that a lot more and, and push it forward. And I'm also you know, based off of my, how I grew up, a, a timeline person. <laughs> like, okay. I don't believe in time, but at the same time, it helps me. Like having deadlines is what I'm okay. saying. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, having shows to work towards, like keeps me focused. And, you know, and so like, I was really happy when I had this solo show at the Rexbeck Gallery, knowing that as soon as I'm done, I don't have to like throw myself into that, like what one of my friends called it, the vulnerability hangover. Hmm. You know, like after you produce like a body of work, you're just kind of emotionally depleted. Like you're on this high, right? You're on this incredible high. And then of course with every high, there's the opposite low. cycles. Yeah. Yeah. And so I remember experiencing that early on when I started showing. It's like, man, why am I depressed? This is ridiculous. Like, what is this feeling? You know, it's like, you know, and then that fear of like getting back in the studio, like, well, where am I going to go to now? Like, what am I going to make now? You know, and so that can be a large hurdle to get back into after doing a show. And so I already have a show lined up for next year at the Doherty Art Center, exactly a year from this show. Like it's in September as well, which is awesome because it's like my birthday month. So it's a great way to uh, celebrate another year. So like instead of having those questions of, well, what do I create now or where do I go from here? And can I make something better than what I just did? It's I already know. You know what I mean? So like I already have this timeline of what I need to do for my next show. So... Could you maybe talk about that work? Because I know that you had mentioned that it's the type of work that would potentially be pushing your boundaries. I'm just yeah. wondering if you could share anything about that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's honestly like very different than my uh, current show. It's called The In-Between. You know, it's about dealing with what it's like being culturally in between two different worlds, you know. And so I had this idea. I've, I've always felt like I lived in the in-between. You know, I think I feel like my life is like that. You know, I'm always living in this in-between space that doesn't necessarily fit in one mold, right? Like I, I'm kind of like a bunch of different dinograms, like kind of overlapping, you yeah. know. Um, I'm constantly questioning my identity and growing up you know you couldn't help but be faced with questions of identity when stepping outside my front door I was thrown into American culture and then when I stepped back home I was in Vietnam you know and so for me as a teenager growing up man talk about like the strangest point of time of identity like Mm. just natural development adolescence is like the hardest time in your life right in regards to your identity and what that means and it's formative years right 
but like what happens if you put that in the context of also not knowing where you are culturally it's a hard question and it was mm. very difficult for me because like in some ways I didn't fit into American culture because I didn't look like anyone else around me you know I was like in the middle of Pennsylvania you yeah. know I always joke around I hope my Pennsylvania friends don't get offended but I always say that like it's Philadelphia and Pittsburgh and Arkansas in between and I lived in Arkansas yeah. you know yeah. <laughs> like, it was just like you know I was like one of like four Asian people in my school and you know so I didn't really fit in there but I didn't fit in at home either because I wasn't a hundred percent you know traditional Vietnamese either you know and so here I was trying to assimilate these two cultures and these two identities and how how do I fit in that you know it's about living in the in between that space and so so the show is, you know, definitely there's self-portraits, but there's like, you know, personal work. But there's also in the context of I actually interviewed a bunch of students from the international school on the east side that are immigrants and teenagers and, you know, got to know them and hmm. took photographs of them. So they're going to be in the show as well. Kids from all over the world, in different countries, you know, Sudan, Nepal, Myanmar, you know, just Right now, I think that's a really pertinent question. You know, that's the other thing yeah. is like, you know, I think it's in the forefront of my mind because of where we are politically and as a country and I, our identity as the United States. What is the identity of America right now? Yeah. That's a big question, right? And yeah. so like putting it in the context of immigrants, which this country is based off of. I mean, this country is built off immigrants. And I, I know it's a difficult question because we're a young country. I mean, if you think about it in the context of the world, the greater world, we're very, very young. And so, and there's no country like it where we have this melting pot of different cultures. Like, you know, nationalism, it's a very, it's a very strange word because, you know, you want to have national pride, but like in the context that it is today, it's not a very good word. I mean, in other countries, they, they can have nationalism because they are under an umbrella of the same culture and, you know, the same upbringing. But here in the States, it's a melting pot. And that's how it's always been. But for some reason, the majority, of course, you know, thinks that that's the majority of the culture is supposed to be. But they're all a form of immigration at some point. They've just not had to live in the in-between that much anymore because yeah. they're lucky that they are now living in this space that their previous ancestors had to go through for them. For some of us, that's still pretty raw and real, you know, and so I want to create a dialogue. I want to create questions. I want to create, you know, learn more about myself and my own identity in that space and what it means to be living in the in-between. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be at the Doherty Art Center next September, and nice. I'm excited for that. So right now, if you're hearing this before October 6th, uh, 2018, you can see Dreamscapes at Rexbeck Gallery at the Flatbed Building, yeah. uh, right? Yeah. Uh, that's at 2832 East MLK Junior Boulevard. And your website is? Uh, vnostudio.com, V-Y-N-G-O Studio. Um, and I'm going to be doing an artist talk that day, too, at 3 p.m. So if people want to come and learn more about the work. On October in. 6th? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, the closing. All right. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to say? No, thank you. This has been fun. I, I hope I didn't... <laughs> <laughs> throw too much all at once at no, you. It's awesome. But yeah, no, it's it's been really easy. Yeah, thank I you so much. The time. Um and we're here at Cement Loop, which is yeah. off of Berkman and this is a, a collection of artist studios I'd never visited before. So it's it pretty cool to come by here. Yeah, definitely. I you know, people should we're a little bit off the grid on the east side, we're northeast, so uh, North Berkman. So hopefully people, you know, definitely please come out during East Studio Tour this year. East oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, we'll have lots of lots of diverse works of artists and uh, 
it'll be fun. So. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing everyone's doors open, see yeah. what everyone's up to. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Well, thanks, V. I appreciate it, Scott. Thanks for listening. One more thing before you go. If this episode or any other I've produced have helped you or added value to your life, please support the podcast so it can continue and grow. Just go to austinarttalk.com forward slash support. There you can find a link to my Patreon page, and there is also a PayPal option and an Amazon affiliate link. I couldn't keep doing this without your help. All the best to you and take care. Take care.